You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Sweden in Focus, a new weekly podcast from The Local. I'm your host, Tom Henley, and every Saturday, I'm going to find out what just happened in Sweden during the week from the editors and journalists who reported on it all. On today's episode, we are going to look at the tension that intensive forestry has brought about in Sweden and what that means for the country's image and for those who are reliant on the woods around them. We'll look at how the Liberal Party have recently taken a controversial step to a certain side which might change the course of Swedish politics. We're also going to hear what the readers of The Local voted for us to talk about on this episode when it comes to the Covid pandemic. And we'll finish off with a story from Gothenburg about a bunch of men named Glenn. This episode is sponsored by Akademikernas Arkasa, providers of income insurance for university graduates in Sweden. And today we have with us James Savage, who is the CEO and founder of The Local. Hello, James. How's it going? Hi, Tom. It's great. Thanks. It's uh, The sun is shining. I'm sitting in my Swedish summer house and um, everything is right with the world, apart from everything that's wrong with the world. <laughs> <laughs> so far, today it looks good. Have you had a good week so far? Well, it's the end of the week. Have you had a good week? Yeah, it's good. It's getting to the end of the week, and 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 you know, I've had a, I've had a, I've had a fantastic week. Um, it's uh, yeah, I think you know, the Swedish summer is kind of peerless, isn't it? You can, um, you you spend a long time waiting for it, but when it comes, it's worth it. It's worth the wait. Also with us today is Emma Lerthgren, who is the editor for the local Sweden. Hi, Emma. Hi, Thomas. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How has your week been? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty busy. Uh, the heat is getting to me a bit. The weather has been really weird lately, just really damp and hot. I know, I know. And for the for the listeners out there, we are recording this over Zoom because the pandemic is, of course, not over completely. And, you know, I'm looking at all your faces in your little boxes and it's so nice to see the sun shining through the windows and we don't have to use fake Zoom backgrounds for once. <laughs> um, we can actually finally have some summer for real, so that's really nice. <laughs> yes. And someone else who is looking very summery is... Catherine Edwards, who is the local's European editor. How's it going, Catherine? Hi, Thomas. Um, it's going well. I'm I'm enjoying the heat. I try not to complain about it because I complain all through the winter. I know, I know. I am the same. It finally feels as if those long Swedish winters are behind us, at least for a while. Uh, last but not least, we have the journalist Kiara Milford, who is from the UK, but has been living in Sweden for the last year and was in Denmark for three years before that. Okay, let's get on with the show. 
Okay, now I thought a great way to start this whole thing off on our first episode would be to talk about something that is super important to Sweden as a country and something that is causing a big discussion and a whole lot of both national and international conflicts for Sweden right now. And a lot of you listening will probably, even if you haven't even visited Sweden, will probably know that Sweden is a country dominated by woods and natural forests. There is a lot of greenery here. In fact, I read that... um, 57% of the country is covered in woods and natural forest. Is that right, James? Yeah. Uh, 70% of the of, of Sweden 70. is covered in okay, forest. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 70%. So well, a six, I think it's, it's, it's just 69 and a bit percent is covered in forest. So it's, you know, that is a lot of trees. It's 28 million hectares. Wow. Um, but of course, you know, whereas in many countries you'll think of you know, the woodland, um, particularly less less forested countries, you'll think of the woodland effectively as a sort of, um, as, a, as a natural resource in the sense of, you know, a place for, um, for, for that's protected, that's, that's part of a nature reserve, that's there for, you know, humans to enjoy and for, and, and for nature to be protected. But of course, much of Sweden's forest is, in fact, the vast majority of Sweden's forest is forest that is intended at some point to be used to produce timber and wood pulp. So just how much of the forest is protected? Only 2.8 million hectares of those 28 million hectares of forest is protected, is in in places like national parks or or nature reserves. Um, So, you know... In Sweden, it's you know forestry is part of the of, of part of the country's soul. Um, it's it's a place where people hunt, uh, shoot, which is you know a big part of the culture. It's a place that um, hosts a huge amount of, of nature, but it's also big business, um, and that is what is causing um, a huge uh, discussion right now. Um, and a debate within Sweden, but also also conflict between Sweden and some of its EU partners um, about how uh, the forestry industry, about what sort of environmental requirements need to be put on the forestry industry. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I think a lot of people look at Sweden thinking about the last few years, especially uh, with people like Greta Thunberg and her Fridays for the Future, uh, as, as a kind of a forward-thinking country when it comes to climate policy. Uh, but what you're saying here about the tension, you know, and, and especially it, it coming more to light, it sounds like it's coming more to light nowadays um, and being discussed more. Is, is this going to, da- is this damaging uh, Sweden's image or, or, of, you know, that, the, you know, a utopia? Well, certainly um, in, in some circles, yeah. I mean, you've seen uh, now that the Swedish government has been lobbying for the timber industry's uh, case in Brussels to, to avoid... Um, higher environmental uh, stipulations being placed on Swedish timber industry as part of the EU's climate policy. And so it, 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 was, um, it was revealed recently that both Finland and Sweden and Sweden's Prime Minister Stefan Löfven had been having, having words with, the, with uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the, 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 the president of the European Commission, um, trying to minimise the environmental requirements that were going to be placed on the Swedish forestry industry. And that's mm. found Sweden on the other side of the argument than, um, for instance, the WWF and the Worldwide Fund for Nature. And also at home, there's been a growing tension between some environmentalists and a you know, growing lobby organisation. There's a group called Huda Skogen, Protect the Forest, which is, you know, which is trying to protect the environmental interests of the forest 
biodiversity and climate change. And, and also representatives of the Sami who herd reindeer through forests in the north of Sweden, who are reliant on, um, for instance, lichen growing on the, on, on the trees to, to feed reindeer. And that, that, that tend to grow in sort of older, more mature forests. So we've got those on the one hand and then forest owners on the other hand. And these forest owners, some of them are massive conglomerates, but many of them are small farmers who own a bit of land and a bit of forestry. But that forestry is a, is a multi-generational investment. So, you know, they've, they've planted mm. that forest, they hunt in that forest, they walk in that forest, they live by that forest. But also, one day, they intend for that forest to be turned into timber. That, of course, is a um, is, it put, puts them in 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 conflict with um, with with some of these uh, environmental um, and in the north of Sweden in, in Sápmi in the Sami uh, area of Sweden um, with 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 um, indigenous people. And you know, I think that's an important point to make, James. Actually, that you know, it seems to me that uh, during all these arguments and conversations, that sometimes the personal side of you know who would this actually affect can be forgotten. Have you found that during your reporting that, you know, say the Sami people, as you mentioned before, is their voice ignored or forgotten when these arguments happen? Well, well, it is. I mean, I think it, there's, there's been a lot more coverage, coverage of it recently. There have been some very pointed uh, debates between the Sami and, and in particular Svea Skog, uh, Sweden's state-owned forestry company um, yeah. in the north of Sweden. So, so, you know, there have been some very pointed debates there. And that, you know, that adds, you know, layer upon layer of controversy. You've got the environmental controversy, which is, you know, there from the beginning, um, the Sami aspect of it. And then, um, but then, of course, the state's own forestry company being involved. And a discussion about whether the state's forestry company should be um, primarily looking to exploit forests commercially, or should it be uh, looking to um, protect environmental values. Now, of course, the in, the instructions that the that the, the, the forestry um, company that Sphere School gets from the state basically tells it to do both of these things. But sometimes these things come into conflict, and that 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 creates difficulty. But of course, there's different debates in different parts of the country. You know, the Sami live in the in the very far north of Sweden, um, but parts of Sweden um, well south of, of of that are still heavily forested. And there, yeah. there, the Sami um, element is obviously not there, but but there are still very strong environmental discussions, and also discussions about people's own backyards. You know, my neighbour in in the countryside when she woke up one morning uh, and saw that they were starting to uh, take down the forest opposite her home. That for her that was 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 something that she was upset about, and and lots of people end up in that sort of situation when they clear cut forests, which is a controversial practice that's very widespread in Sweden, instead of taking down a few trees here and a few trees there, you just take down an enormous area all at once. It's very efficient, but it, um, it changes landscapes overnight. And, and environmentalists would say is also terribly bad for um, biodiversity. So there, there are all sorts of elements of this, of this question that cause incredible controversy. And what and what does that um, controversy look like, or, what, or rather, what does it sound like? What are some of the arguments you mentioned there that environmentalists will say that it's ruining the biodiversity and and you know ruining the climate? But what what are some of the arguments against that? How can you how how it's to me it almost seems black and white that that's 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 true. How can you argue against that? Well, yeah, I mean, well, there are a few there are a few things here. First of all, the Swedish forestry industry would say that as a forestry industry, they are um, they are very sustainable forestry industry. Now, they would point out that this um, that Sweden's forest coverage 
has doubled over the last hundred years. You know, there's there's sometimes this misconception that um, that, that that all the forestry in Sweden has sort of been there since the dawn of time. Well, actually, you know, a lot of it was destroyed in the Industrial Revolution and re- and and then uh, planted again uh, in the in the last hundred years. Where I am in particular, for instance, this was a, an iron-producing um, area of Sweden. They, they, they chopped down the wood um, to use in industry. And this area was, was, was almost denuded of forest, but then the forest came back. Um, so this idea that, you know, that, that this, is a, this is natural, this, this is a destruction of nature, they would say is, is, is wrong. And actually the forestry industry has contributed to building up forest over the last hundred years. And they would also point to the fact that um, the Swedish forestry is very heavily regulated and that when forests are taken down, they are replanted. Um, of course, environmentalists would say, though, yeah, they're replanted with a monoculture, with just the same trees packed tightly together. It's not a for, it's not the kind of forestry that that invites biodiversity. So these are the two kinds of um, sides of the arguments that we're, that we're seeing here. Emma, I know that you, of course, grew up here in Sweden and you spent your summers in the Swedish countryside. Is this, uh, you know, the question of intense forestry? Is it something that you have? Is it something that you thought about? Without arguing either against or in favour that the forestry industry is also a very big part of Swedish history and Swedish identity. And there are also a lot of like, families owning forests. Like my my mother and her family, they own forests in northern Sweden because she's from northern Sweden originally. And they're also a family with Sami roots. There are landowning Samis too. So it's not always so clear cut as there being kind of one defined group against another defined group. So looking to the future, it seems like it seems to me like you know, we have this general election coming up in Sweden next year, in 2022. Um, do you think that this will be a main point of argument, something that will be at, at the forefront of, of conversations when it comes to policy and the forward thinking and the future of Sweden? Or will it be a fringe kind of story that is almost um, forgotten as it has been before? I, th- I think it's, it's becoming um, a bigger issue. Uh, I think the uh, the but I think the idea that environmental issues are going to be what's going to um, decide the next election. I think that 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 that's a remote possibility. I mean, what we're looking at now mm-hmm. in the next election is issues of um, you know taxation and spending and immigration, um, maybe elements of the COVID crisis and the environment. Unfortunately, um, coming uh, coming coming second place um, or, or lower. So, um, but there will be parties, you know, the, the, the Greens um, and maybe the Centre Party on different sides of this argument. Um, Centre Party being much more um, uh, sort of the the old agrarian party, representing the interests of forest owners. Perhaps uh, having having some discussion on this on the fringes of, uh, uh, fringes of the debate, but it's not, as far as I can see, so far going to be central. We'll be right back. If you're new in Sweden, or you've yet to master all the intricacies of Swedish working life, you may not be familiar with the unemployment insurance system here. Unemployment insurance is compulsory in most of the EU and the UK, but in Sweden, it's partially voluntary. But what does that mean for you? Well, to be entitled to the full income insurance benefits available in Sweden, you'll need to join an R-CASA, like Akademikernas R-CASA. An R-CASA is an unemployment fund that pays income-related insurance benefits, and Akademikernas R-CASA is Sweden's biggest provider for university graduates. 
You're eligible to join if you're a university graduate and currently work or have previously worked in Sweden, the EU, EEA or Switzerland. Want to protect your income in the event that you lose or choose to quit your job at a cost of just 140 Swedish kroner per month? Join Akademikernas Arkassa. You could receive up to 26,400 kroner per month before tax. Okay, we've talked already a little bit about the Swedish general elections, which will be held next year on the 11th of September 2022, to elect the 349 members of the Riksdag, which is basically Sweden's parliament. And it seems that as we come out of this pandemic, whenever that is, it is the election that everyone's attention will surely turn towards. Now, Emma, as this is our first episode... Maybe you could just give our listeners a quick introduction to which parties will be looking to keep and gain seats in the Riksdag uh, next year. <laughs> okay, so Sweden's got quite a lot of parties because we've got proportional representation in parliament. Um, so I'll, I'll list the parties from left to right for you with the caveat that it's not an entirely flawless way of listing them. And there are parties you could arguably shift around a bit on this list. So James, please don't shout at me that I'm wrong and I should move one party to the left or the right. (laughs) So that you've got the left party, there's the green party, the social democrats, the center party, the liberals, uh, the moderates, the Christian democrats and the Sweden democrats. The three biggest parties are the center-left Social Democrats, the right-wing Moderates, and the sort of anti-immigration Sweden Democrats, while the other parties are kind of relatively small. So these are the parties that are in Parliament. And currently in government, you've got a coalition of the Social Democrats and the Green Party. And it's a minority government that's sort of governing with the support of the centre and liberal parties in parliament, and I suppose to some extent the left party, because they don't have a lot of other choice. But that's basically what the political scene looks like right now. Did that make sense, Thomas? Yes, brilliantly put. Now I understand everything. I'm with you. I'm with you. I know a survey came out recently, right, that uh, showed that if Sweden went to the polls today, there would be some surprising results when it came to some of these smaller parties that you mentioned. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about the most interesting result that came out of that poll? I think I kind of have to go back to the last election in 2018 to explain this. Tack, kära ni. Tack, alla ni. Det är ni som har gjort detta möjligt. There were four months of post-election deadlock, basically, because none of the parties were big enough to kind of form a government. And eventually the deadlock ended when the centre and liberal parties struck what was called the January Agreement with the Social Democrats and the Green Party, and thereby granting the Social Democrats Stefan Löfven another term as prime minister. Before this, sorry, this is all very complicated, uh, the centre and liberals had previously campaigned as part of a sort of four-party alliance with the conservative, moderate and Christian Democrats parties. But the reason they switched sides after this 2018 election was that they didn't want to have to rely on the implicit support of the Sweden Democrats, who are anti-migration, 
which they otherwise would have had to. Now, <laughs> a few months ago, the Liberals switched sides again, saying that they will again back the moderates in the next election, even if that means accepting Sweden Democrat support. And this doesn't seem to have paid off, because as you mentioned, there was a poll last week, and it's by Statistics Sweden, which is the sort of official number crunching agency in Sweden. And this poll is one of the biggest party preference polls in Sweden, and it had the Liberals at just 2.5%. The threshold to get into Parliament in Sweden is 4%. And this is interesting for the next election in 2022, because the Green Party, which is, as I mentioned, currently governing together with the Social Democrats, is also hovering just below the 4% threshold. So if in the election next year, one of these parties falls below that threshold, this will effectively push the balance of power either in favour of the right or the left. So it will be very interesting to see how that plays out. So who are the Liberal Party exactly? What, what is their story? Um, so the Liberal Party, uh, they used to be called, they recently changed their name. They used to be called the People's Party, which makes it sound like something completely different. Uh, and they've basically, well, I mean, Liberals might disagree with me or not, but they've liked to kind of position themselves as kind of hardline but kind, uh, whether it's on education or NATO, which they're in favour of, or crime. Uh, but for better or worse, uh, migration is kind of the fault line that runs through Swedish politics at the moment. And it's struggled a bit to position itself on that. Uh, they recently changed their leader. Was it last year, I think it was? And the former leader, Jan Björklund, he had parked the party on the left side of this and saying that we are for migration. We don't want any support from the anti-migration side of Swedish politics. Whereas the current leader, Nyamko Sabuni, has kind of gone to the right instead. Uh, but they were struggling in the polls even before this a bit. Because while, for example, the centre party, which is I guess the party that's the closest to them in parliament has managed to kind of capitalize on the moderates, the big, the big right-wing party, the moderates harder line on migration by kind of positioning themselves as the sort of half right-wing party that we like free markets, but we also like immigrants. Uh, the liberals haven't really found a spot that they can own. Uh, so they've kind of been dropping in the polls for the past well, since the last election, really. James, I know that you covered the last general election very closely. Uh, what do you see as the future for the Liberal Party? I mean, I think what's interesting with the with with the Liberals and um and, and their position now is they've they they found themselves kind of um in a bit of a corner where they've um they they've defined themselves in a few key areas like they're going to be they they want to be tough on in schooling you know lots of tests um and um and and, and kind of old fashioned um old old fashioned kind of education um and they've defined themselves in and uh, being tough on 
um, on crime and, and, and very much um, in, in favour of, of strong sort of integration policies. Um, but they've kind of, uh, they've kind of failed to build a kind of a, a global narrative about what they're for. And, and, and this is where they're, you know, when you've got two liberal parties in parliament, you've got the liberals and the centre party, it's, the Centre Party has, has has done much better in positioning itself um, as a, a liberal, um, uh, liberal in social issues, liberal also in economic issues um, party, um, and um, you know they're the ones who um, who who are benefiting to a large extent from 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 from, from the liberals' um, confusion. So um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the next election. But you know, there's a real possibility that we're gonna we're gonna lose a. Um, a, p- a party that's been in Swedish Parliament for um, for, for over a hundred years, but I mean there is still fourteen months left until that um, you know September the eleventh. Do you think that that is enough time for the Liberal Party to find an identity to stop sitting on the fence, or you know, is that enough time? It's going to be it's going to be hard for them to radically change the um, their, their approach, I think, um, and their image. But it it might be it might just about be enough time for them to uh, for for them to kind of scrape together enough votes. And um, particularly, one of the things that they that they'll be looking for is to try and get um, to try and borrow votes from other parties. So if they can plant themselves on the right side of Swedish politics, so so on the right ring of Swedish politics, um, so as, as a supporter of a government led by Ulf Kristersson, the leader of the Moderates, and supported by the Sweden Democrats. Um, if they can plant themselves on that side, then there might be just enough interest for people who would otherwise, for instance, vote for the moderates to lend a vote um, to the Christian Democrats, which might just about get them over the four um, percent mark. In fact, you know, historically, if you look at the, at the Liberals um, and, and sort of the, the details of the, the sort of nerdy details of the polling, they've often been one of the parties that benefited most from sort of borrowed votes from other parties, people whose first preferences is really one of the other parties, but they'll lend their vote to the Liberals, and that they've done well by that in the past. So you know there is a there is a there is a chance that they might uh, do that again. But the problem is, the lower they go under this four percent threshold, the less the more they look like a wasted vote, and the less likely um, people are to lend their votes to them. And so, Emma, would you say then that next year's general election, and indeed the immediate future of Swedish politics, might be determined by these small political parties like the Liberal Party? Absolutely. And I mean, the the media, perhaps especially the international media, maybe, they tend to focus a lot on the Sweden Democrats because their anti-migration agenda has um, stirred things up in Swedish politics in the past decade or so. But it's really the smaller parties that are crucial this time. So I think that really illustrates the point that if you if you don't look at the finer details, you risk missing the big picture. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, Catherine, in anticipation of our first episode, I know you guys at The Local put up a poll this week on your homepage, right? Yes, we asked our readers what they wanted us to talk about on this podcast in relation to COVID. And the options we offered were uh, travel restrictions in Sweden, the vaccine rollout in Sweden, and more generally, the Swedish government's response. Um, So thanks to everyone who responded. We had several hundred readers tell us what they wanted to hear. And the winner, by quite some way, was travel restrictions. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit. And why do you think that so many of your readers wanted to know a little bit more about COVID and travel restrictions? I think there are two main reasons. Firstly, Sweden in general has become known for its more uh, relaxed uh, approach to coronavirus restrictions. There's been a lot of focus on personal responsibility, but travel has been one exception to that. The rules are very strict, of course, because there are already border controls, so you can't um, sneak past them or um, you you can't not follow these laws. And they've also been changing quite a lot, including some changes at the start of June. And the other reason I think for our readers, who um, a lot of us live outside our home country or we have family who do, and that means that travel is its more than just your summer holidays. It's a real priority when we talk about getting back to normal for a lot of people, uh, including myself. It's not so much about indoor dining or um, the other things that are starting to, to open up, football matches or concerts. It's really about traveling to see family and friends in other countries. This has been going on for a year and a half now and people have missed uh, maybe important events within their family, whether it's the birth of a of a baby or family funerals, any any other serious events. So I think it's important to say it's not just not just people wanting to get out of Sweden for some sunshine abroad. And let's talk, Catherine, a little bit more about clarity because I know a lot of people that probably voted for uh, travel restrictions from the poll probably did so because, at least for me, it seems so complex and you know sometimes I don't know what's going on this week it's this rule the next week it's that rule and you know often I don't even know if we can travel when we can travel or how we can travel. Well the rules are quite complex and and they do change uh, every so often so it's it's really important that people check before they travel and I think especially for British people who have been used to this freedom of movement just used to things like stepping in the EU passport queue at the airport. It's remembering that readjustment that you're you're looking at the non-EU rules at the moment. Um, people who are living in Sweden who've got the post-Brexit residence permit uh, are still allowed to return to the country if they travel abroad. And there's currently no advi- um, advice against travelling to the UK But where it becomes more difficult is if you've got family or friends, people who live in the UK who want to come to Sweden, because in that direction, it's treated the same as other third countries, which means 
not only do you need a negative coronavirus test, but you also need to fall into these quite specific groups that are exempt from, from the non-EU entry ban to Sweden, which includes yeah, quite specific situations like urgent family reasons or essential work travel. It's important to note here that we're talking a lot about British travellers because of what's happened with Brexit and the uncertainty there. But of course, there are many people living in Sweden that want to get back to their loved ones, whether it be in Australia or Portugal or America, all over the world. And I know that's something you've been looking into, Emma. Absolutely. And I've, I've spoken with readers from from India and the US who live in Sweden now and they're going to give birth and one of their plans had already been for their parents to come over and help out with the baby like in the first few months and that's just not going to happen now. Well, thanks to everyone who voted in the polls and and Catherine, this is going to be something we're going to do week in and week out, is that right? Um, yes, we definitely want to be talking about the things that, that people want to hear about, so we'll be doing that again. We'll be right back. With Sweden's system of unemployment insurance, it's easy even for Swedes to miss out on the benefits of joining an Arkasa. Arkasas are the employment fund that pay out income-related insurance benefits if you lose or quit your job. Membership of Akademikernas Arkasa, the top provider for university graduates, costs just 140 Swedish kroner per month. So, 10 years worth of fees corresponds to roughly one monthly payment if you become unemployed. It's like a regular insurance policy for your car or your home, but designed to protect your income. But there is one key difference. As academic and as our CASA is not for profit, it won't charge you a fortune. Employees, the self-employed and even students can join. For more information, visit the Academic and as our CASA website. Now, get your pen and paper ready because I'm going to spell this out for you and direct you to the English language homepage. It's www.akademikernasakasa.se/en. And if you think that was tricky, just wait until you find out what our CASA is short for. Kiara, why is 2021 such a big year for the city of Gothenburg, or Göteborg, as they say here in Sweden? Because it was founded 400 years ago, a couple of days ago. It was their 400th anniversary. It was founded during the Thirty Years' War by Gustav II in 1621. So it's 400 years old. Yeah, and at that time it was almost entirely inhabited by non-Swedish people, by Dutch immigrants, merchants and Scottish people, Germans. In fact, the blueprint for the canals of Gothenburg is actually the same as those used for Jakarta, which is the old Dutch colony. Um, And of course, yesterday, uh, the Euro 2020s, or they should be called the 2021s, but they're called the 2020s, they finally kicked off. And appropriately, you have a story for us that revolves around football and Gothenburg. Is that right? Yeah, I can't quite believe that my first foray into podcasting is talking about football. <laughs> I am nor, neither a sports correspondent, nor do I, do I think I will ever be. But um, yeah, so my story involves a football chant called Alla hette Glenni which means uh, everybody in Gothenburg is called Glenn, or everybody is called Glenn in Gothenburg. Okay, and so is everybody called Glenn in Gothenburg? 
No, only about <laughs> 212 people in Gothenburg have the name Glenn. Okay. Uh, the chant started in the 80s when the football team IFK Jotteborg had four star players on their team called Glenn. Okay. Glenn Hussein, Glenn Strömberg, Glenn Schiller and Glenn Holm. And they went on, that team went on to win the UEFA Cup twice and the Swedish Cup. And they're the only team, to, the only Nordic team to have ever won the UEFA, a UEFA championship. And the last time, interestingly, they beat um, a Scottish team, Dundee. Wow. But where does the chant come from then? Is it, is it, is it, uh, uh, what's the history behind the chant? So it was during a friendly match, I think, between, or maybe not a friendly match, between, um, IFK Göteborg and Hammerby from Stockholm. An unfriendly friendly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the Hammerby team came up with a chant to sort of mock the four Glens, but uh, IFK Göteborg quickly co-opted it to be their own kind of good luck charm chant to inspire the players. And you'll hear it at every IFK Gothenburg game, but also at a lot of uh, national Swedish matches anyway. So it, it spread far beyond the city of Gothenburg. And, and, you, uh, and you've been looking into this story, the story behind this chant, right? Is that right? And I mean, what's the reality? You mentioned the 200 or so people who are called Glenn, but it's not just men. Is that right? No, there are also 19 dogs called Glenn <laughs> in the city. And about um, 10 women in Sweden are called Glenn. But there's like Glenn Close. I mean, she's a fl- famous female Glenn. Oh, yeah, right. She's probably the most famous Glenn, right? Yeah. And there's a an outdated dad joke that would be popular among the 5,000 odd Glens who live in Sweden who are all above 50. Um, what would happen if Glenn Hussein married Glenn Close? I don't know. They would, they would both be called Glenn Hussein. Okay. Pause for laughs. Yeah, I'm going to chuck some cricket noises in there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love dad jokes, but that was not a good dad joke. No offence to no, anyone who loves that joke. Not at all. It's it's not a good joke at all. But, I mean, do you fancy giving us a little, a few lines from the song? <clears throat> Maybe I shall. Allah <laughs> the Glen, Allah the Glen, It'll be in your head all day. It's extremely catchy. Okay, everybody, that is going to do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening to the very first episode of Sweden in Focus. And a big thanks to all the editors and journalists who joined me today and to our sponsor, Akademikernas Arkasa. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you want to support independent journalism, why not become a member of The Local Today? Sweden and Focus is a band of production in collaboration with The Local. Join me next Saturday when we'll take another deep dive into the Swedish week that just was. Take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade.
Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage. <laughs>